0: You hearing me? hiss? Yes. Should be a little sheet coming around just to give you a, a basic outline of where we're going today. Um, we're going to be talking about God is our Father. God is many things. Uh, you've been we, Nathan has been teaching us uh, over the last number of weeks uh, many of those things. God is all powerful. He's all knowing. He's He's wise. He's gracious. He's good. Um, He is our King, He's our Creator, etc. And God is also our Father. And I want us to think today about what it means that God is our Father. Uh, Just a a couple of of thoughts uh, as well. We're going to be not only thinking about God the Father, but because uh, God is three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus, when he was on the earth, uh, Philip said to him, show us the Father. And Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? That's, that's from John 14. So the question Jesus asked was, uh, you've been seeing me all this time, and you've been seeing the Father. And, and then in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, we read that the Son reflects the glory of God and shows exactly what God is like. Jesus, the Son, shows exactly what God is like. When Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach them to pray, he said, pray like this, our Father in heaven. He, he didn't say, pray our sovereign Lord or our awesome King or the Holy One, or our powerful Creator, all of which God is. But he said, our Father. Now, that was a really uh, radical thing to say in Jesus' day. Because the, the, the Jewish people would not speak out the name of God because they honored him in so much. And so, therefore, to be so familiar as to say Father to him would be uh, pretty radical. Well, let's just pause and pray before we go further. Father, our Father, gracious Father, merciful Father, come and reveal yourself to us today, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, because, Lord, we don't want to just know about you. We want to know you. Lord, we're told in Scripture that Abraham was the friend of God. Lord, we want to be your friends We want to walk close to you. We want to know you and to know your ways and to draw near to your heart. And So come, Lord, and and by your Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts, as we sang a few minutes ago, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Lord, I, I make that my prayer today. Open my eyes to see afresh the wonder, the grace, the goodness, the power, the mercy, the love of you our Father, our great and gracious and merciful Father. Amen. Well, I'm just going to take us through a bit of a tour through God's autobiography. Uh, The Word of God is is from Him revealing to us who He is, and so I want us to, to dig into that together and think about God as our Father. Now, it's possible that some of you are here and you've had a really great father and so when when i say we're thinking of god as our father you think you think yeah that's exciting because knowing god as father is really significant to me it's also possible that you're here and you didn't have a good father and maybe you're saying well i didn't i had a bad father therefore i'm not really that excited to hear that god is my father well The fact that you say to me, I had a bad father or not a good father, indicates to me that you're actually measuring him by some sort of a standard. In other words, if you say such and such is bad you must have some idea of what is good. That's a bad brand of shoes. Well then there must be some good ones, right? And so we're comparing if we say, I had a bad father. And so what I want us to understand is that even though human fathers may be far less than they should be, uh, we're looking at God the Father and he is everything that a good father should be and way more. And we're going to think about that together today. So Exodus, I'm going to look to begin with at two different passages from the Old Testament, Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, that is with Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And then over to Psalm chapter 103 and verse 7 to 14. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds To the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Is that encouraging to you? He knows how weak we are and remembers that we are dust. He knows we're made out of dust. And so, therefore, as a matter of fact, he doesn't expect us to be more than that apart from his life in us. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, apart from you, me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Somebody said, that's just a zero with the rim kicked off. So, let's look together at some of the characteristics of God our Father as he revealed himself to us. So, he said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and merciful God. The first thing I want you to see is that the Father's heart is a heart of compassion and mercy. Compassionate means to recognize the suffering others of others and take action to help them. Compassion embodies a tangible expression of love for those who are suffering. In other words, it brings a response. And so Jesus, we are told, when he uh, saw a crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Or uh, uh, loving kindness, some translations translate that. Loving kindness or unfailing love. Think of that, unfailing love. 2 Corinthians 13 says, love never fails. So the Father's heart is a heart of compassion and mercy. Uh, uh, Mercy means that we are not giving someone what they deserve. So if you throw yourself, if you've been charged with something, and you throw yourself on the mercy of the court... What you're asking is, please don't give me what I deserve. Please give me mercy instead of what I deserve. Now, we're going to talk about grace later, which is more than mercy, but we all need mercy, right? Uh, In in, uh, Hebrews, the Lord invites us to come to the throne of grace where we will find mercy and grace for our time of need. We really need both, don't we? We really need God to not give us what we deserve. But more than that, we don't want to just uh, get let off. We actually want his grace to be poured out upon us, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Number two, the Father's character. What is his character? His character is a character of patience and gentleness and tenderness. It says in Psalm 103 that we read together, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Well, I was uh, one of the people that were, was blessed to have a good father, and he was slow to get angry. As a matter of fact, I don't ever recall seeing my father angry. Um, and so I was just blessed with growing up in a situation where he was reflecting the character of the Heavenly Father. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. That's mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Verse 13: The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. He's patient, he's gentle, he is tender. Well, looking at the life of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight, we see that Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart." and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah, gentle and humble in heart. So the character of the Father is patience, gentleness, and tenderness. Thirdly, the Father's motivation is love. In verse 8 again of Psalm 103, it says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Well, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible tells us about that motivation for love. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He so loved that he gave. His motivation caused him to give so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then the next verse, verse 17, says, God sent his son into the world Not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, Jesus will bring judgment eventually, but that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to come and save the world. 1 John three one, John the Apostle writes this. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Notice that word, lavished. Paul uses it a number of times as well. What do you think of when you think of lavish? What, What comes to your mind? Give me a synonym for lavish. Extravagant. Yeah, that's good. Another one? Pardon me? Yes, indeed. So, the Father has lavished his love on us, poured it out, given it to us extravagantly, way more than we need, right? God has way more than you and I need. Peter tells us that that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness and a whole lot more. So uh, Jesus, thinking of the Father who is lavish in his love and motivated by love, Jesus also. You remember in the upper room, Jesus Uh, went and got a basin and a towel. He didn't say, Peter, what's with you? Come on, man, let's get washing feet. He didn't do that. He went and found a basin and took a towel and poured some water and began to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, help me for just a minute. Whose feet did he wash? Give me a name or two. Peter, Judas, Yes, and a, a bunch of others, right? So Peter and Judas were there, and he washed their feet. Did Jesus know what was coming with Peter and Judas? He did. Was he pretending to be nice? No, Jesus never pretended anything. He, it says, he, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Not only washing their feet, but then hanging on a cross for Peter and Judas, for the sins of the whole world. Everything about God, his thoughts, his actions, his character, his interaction with people is all entirely and completely motivated by love. Now, of course, holiness comes into his relations as well, but, but God is Love, John tells us, and if he is love, then everything he does flows from love. Now, this does not mean the fluffy, mushy, sentimental, flaky, self-centered thing that our culture calls love, that you fall in and out of, you know, one day, Uh, but rather it means the wise, solid, consistent, unfailing, unconditional love of the Father God so the father is motivated by love fourthly the father's desire what is the father's desire grace grace is his desire i don't have it on the screen but in uh, in ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30 it says it says the lord says i looked for a man to come and stand in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I will pour out on them the wrath for all their sins. I'm just paraphrasing that. In other words, what God wanted to do for these people who were sinning egregiously, who were awful sinners, what God wanted to do was give them grace and mercy. And so he said, if only I could find someone to intercede for them, I could give them that grace and mercy. But I didn't find anybody. And so the natural course of wrath against sin will happen. The Lord, verse 30 of Isaiah, sorry, Isaiah 30, verse 18, and this is on the screen, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, He rises to show you compassion. Longs. This is God's desire. Is to give grace to us, his people. Now, he does not force grace on anyone. And he gives grace where his people respond to him. Where we say, God, I need you. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. Help me. Then God pours out his grace. Remember, As Jesus hung on the cross and one hung on either side of him and one was cursing Jesus and saying, get us down from here, why don't you? And the other one said, we deserve this. And then he said to Jesus, remember me. Now that was one of the shortest sinner's prayers that's ever been prayed. Uh, But apparently it came from a heart of sincerity indicating that it isn't so much the words we come up with that God is concerned with. It's the heart attitude that makes the difference. Because Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom was his simple prayer. And Jesus saw his heart and said, yes, okay, I will. You'll be with me there. What a God. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, looking at the life of Jesus In Him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished, there's that word again, that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So notice that, the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding through Jesus. God is a God who desires grace, and through Jesus, He pours it out. For us, and second peter three nine tells us what God wants. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. that 's the desire of God. The heart of God, the longing of God, is to pour out grace. Someone said that grace is god 's riches at christ 's expense, just using the little the little acrostic grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, unmerited favor, that which we do not deserve. So he does not give us what we do, do don't sorry, he does not give us what we do deserve, but he does then give us what we don't deserve. That was hard to say. <laughs> Hopefully you got it. <laughs> okay, number 5. The, the Father's plan, what is the Father's plan? Well, it is welfare and peace. Jeremiah 29.11, and this was written to, spoken to, people who were, who were prisoners in exile away from their home. They had been taken out of the land of Israel into the land of Babylon and were there living as exiles. So, When God said to them, I know the plans I have for you, they might have been thinking, Yeah, right. What sort of plans are these? Look at us. Well, listen to the rest of it. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, or one translation says, plans for welfare and peace, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Well, that, that prophecy is being fulfilled since 1948 when Israel became a nation. And so we're seeing the fulfillment of that prophecy and, and others in Ezekiel about the return to the land of Israel. There's a lot of faulty teaching in Christian circles that because God is sovereign, that everything that happens is God's will. Well, may I suggest that that is not what the, what the Word of God reveals to us. Let me just look at a couple of examples with you. Think, for instance, of Jonah, You remember the story of Jonah. God said to him, go to Nineveh and preach to them because I'm going to destroy that city. Well, Jonah said, no way. I'm not going to preach to that evil bunch of people. And so he got on a ship and headed in the opposite direction. Well, just a suggestion here. Running away from God is not a good idea because, because there is nowhere you can go or fast enough to get away from God. And Jonah found that out because he hadn't gone far in this ship when a huge storm came along that God sent along. And then, uh, you you remember the story, the, the people were praying and casting lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. And so they said, well, what should we do? And he said, throw me overboard. So they did, and a fish swallowed him. And he spent three days and three nights there. Well, I guess spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish would probably bring you to praying in a whole new way. And, and apparently Jonah did. Uh, some of his prayers are quite significant. Um, but the question that I have to ask is, when we think about the sovereignty of God and the will of God, did God want Jonah to run away? Well, no. He told him to go to Nineveh. Did he want to send this storm? Well, no, he, he needed to send the storm because Jonah wasn't listening and he needed kind of a wake-up call. And uh, did God really uh, want the whole fish thing to happen? Well, apparently not because he started by just saying go to Nineveh. So if Jonah had just climbed on a ship and headed for Nineveh, I am inclined to think there would not have been a storm or a fish. Um, and so we see... That God wants some things to happen, but when we rebel, other things happen. And God does things that may not be his will, but he, they are his actions in response to the disobedience or rebellion of people in order to bring us to the place of choosing obedience to him. What is his plan and desire? Well, it's to rescue the powerless, the ungodly, the sinful, the helpless... That's his plan, and that's why Jesus came. God does not leave the guilty, persistent, unrepentant, resistant sinners unpunished, as we just read in Exodus. But punishing sin is not the desire of God. Here is his plan, Ephesians 2, 3 to 5. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us. I want to just go back there. We were by nature objects of wrath, but. Buts are really great in a situation like that. (laughs) Wrath was coming, but God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. And and verse 5 of chapter 1, the same book, Ephesians, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Now, there are unplanned accidental pregnancies but have you ever heard of an accidental adoption? Well, I have not. Uh, An adoption is something that is chosen, right? We chose to adopt you. We loved you and wanted you and chose to adopt you. Well, God chose us, we are told, as his children. He chose to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And then we're told that we are made joint heirs together with Jesus. In other words, all the riches of God's kingdom have become our inheritance along with Jesus. Is that somewhat unfathomable to you? It's... it's mind-boggling to me that we share in all the riches of the kingdom of God, and that's what we're looking forward to. And the Holy Spirit was given to us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Wow. I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to get a warranty on something and and it's like one of these limited lifetime warranties? You know, I always wonder what limited lifetime warranty really means. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, But thankfully, God's Warranty, his deposit, his promise is not limited. It is forever. And so when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, that means that we're looking forward to sharing the riches of his kingdom for eternity with him. Wow, what a God. I was traveling with a high caste Hindu uh, teacher in Nepal when we were working there. And we stopped at a tea shop to have some food, and a young girl offered my friend uh, a glass of water. He asked what caste she was, and when he found out that she was the low caste, he would not take the water from her. Now, he did not go thirsty because water was not available and not offered, but he went thirsty because of his pride. No human being ever needs to go thirsty, misting out on the water of life, Because it's not available or not offered, it was never in God's plan for human beings to go to hell, which was prepared for the devil and his rebelling angels and demons. Uh, I think it was um, uh, Calvin Miller who said, God, could you be just and loving and send me off to hell and lock me in forever? And the response was, no, pilgrim, I will not send you there, but if you choose to go there, I cannot lock you out. And I thought, wow, what a helpful perspective on God's attitude, his desire, as we read in Peter, is that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God, the love of the Father, the grace of the Father, the motivation of the Father. Think about this, when the leadership of Thunder Bay planned to build the jail, Do you suppose they said, well, every city ought to have somebody in jail, so let's build a jail and hopefully we'll find some people we can put in it. (laughs) I don't think so. I think they built the jail because it was necessary, because there were people who were rebelling against the laws. And so God does not plan to punish us. He doesn't plan to get us in trouble. He doesn't plan for people to run away and have to live in a fish for a while, but when we resist and rebel, then God alters his actions to accomplish his overall purposes because there is no thwarting of God's overall plan and purpose. See, something that really helped me to just get a simple little perspective on on the sovereignty of God and the free will of man was this. I, I have three children and they're grown up now, but when they were little, uh, we lived in Fort McMurray and some friends of ours lived about a 20-minute walk away and we used to go and walk over to their house. Well, in the process of getting to their house, which I would manage to get all three of them there, actually, um, but in the process of getting there, they did things that I hadn't planned for them to do, like running through mud puddles and you know climbing through thorns, etc. And I didn't want them to do that, but they did it. In, in spite of my plans. But the overall plan was accomplished, and that is we ended up at our friend's house, the whole family of us. Well, that was just kind of a little picture to me of how God operates. He doesn't force us to stay out of mud puddles all the time, but he does work in ways that cause us to come to the place often of saying, well, I really better do what God wants because the options are not all that great. And so God is a loving Father who works to bring us to the place of choosing his ways. Remember, Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. What was Jesus' plan? His plan was to lead his disciples to the place of peace. But he went on to say this, In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Then there's the Father's forgiveness, number six. Chapter 103 of the Psalms, verse 10. He does not punish us for all our sins. He doesn't deal harshly with us as we deserve, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Wow. He doesn't just forgive. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. Elsewhere it says he casts them into the depths of the sea. And in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Now, just thinking about those three words, wickedness, uh, the, the word that is used there means evil or twisting or perverting something deliberately. That is conscious wrongdoing. So God forgives even deliberate conscious wrongdoing. Rebellion also obviously means a choice. It means actively resisting God's ways. But then sin has to do with youthful indiscretions. In other words, things that somebody does that they really don't, they're not really aware that it's terrible, they're just being foolish or ignorant. Well, we've all, we've all been there in a number of those different kinds of sins, but God forgives all of them. Whether or not we simply were foolish and did dumb things, or whether we said, God, I don't want to go your way. God will still when we come to him for mercy and forgiveness, we'll still forgive. Now, he doesn't uh, just forgive rebellion uh, outright if people continue in their rebellion. And that's where his comment comes in about not overlooking sin or not um, failing to discipline people for sin. Well, if there had never been a human trafficker or a terrorist, Jesus would still have had to die for your sins and mine. That is, our respectable sins. Jerry Bridges has written a book entitled Respectable Sins. And these are some of the ones that he lists in there. Discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, lack of self-control, impatience and irritability, anger, judgmentalism, envy, jealousy, sins of the tongue, and worldliness all the things that we can often hide from other people while going through the motions of seeking God. So if there had never been a terrorist, Jesus still would have needed to die for you and me, for all of our sins, because all of those things and all the rest of them that you and I can think of were contributed to the nails that hung him on the cross. Respectable sins nailed Jesus to the cross. Number six, the Father's requirement and wisdom, that is holiness and discipline. God is not only loving and merciful, he's also holy. And therefore, he cannot and does not ignore sin. Exodus 34, 7, after God had revealed his character of compassion and love and mercy and kindness to to Moses, he then said, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, or he does not ignore sin. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Well, just a question for you. Is there such a thing as a good father who ignores sin and never disciplines his children? Well, I don't believe so. Good fathers care about what their children do, and all children Uh, at least all the ones I've ever known, are sinful and therefore need guidance and discipline. I'm sure, well, I'm sure some of your children are not sinful, but mine all were. Uh, To the third and fourth generation expresses the fact that breaking God's laws brings guilt on the entire family. We never sin in a vacuum. When we sin, it affects other people around us. And especially uh, if I, as a father, am sinning, it impacts the generations that follow me unless I come to the God in repentance. Now, of course, some things, even if I repent of them, still have consequences. If we look at the life of David, we see a whole lot of consequences in his life, even though he was repentant. And so the best course of action is for us to say, God, help me to obey you so that I don't pass on things to the generations following me. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. What does the Lord require? Come out and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Well, in Proverbs six sixteen, it says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. I would encourage you sometime to do a study uh, in Scripture of the things that God hates or detests because I think it's important for us to recognize what God detests. Jesus spoke about things that were detestable to God when he was talking to the Pharisees who loved money. And, And so the question is this, how many of us hang around with somebody who regularly is doing things or involving themselves in things that we detest. Well, I don't think any of us will do that. In other words, we will shy away from people like that. Here's just one example of what God hates. Psalm 11, 5, Those who love violence, his soul hates. And then scripture has a number of other things that he hates or detests. So if we want deep friendship with God, the Father God, we must radically deal with the things in our lives Every unclean thing where he says, touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And Hebrews tells us about God's discipline. It says in Hebrews twelve five Have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son, disciplines those he loves, and punishes everyone he accepts as a son or daughter. Lamentations 3:32 and 3, though he brings grief, he will show compassion, so great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. In other words, God doesn't want to give us trouble. He wants us to listen and follow his ways. Again, for those who are parents, um, you've watched your children deciding to do something that was foolish or dangerous, and you've said to them, don't do that. Well, they may have gone ahead and done it and gotten themselves in trouble. God does not willingly bring affliction. You remember when Jesus went into the temple one time and thinking about the Father's discipline and the fact that God has anger against sin. Should he not? Should God not not be angry against evil and sin that is destroying people's lives? Well, Jesus also got angry. He was full of love and compassion as he ministered, but he got angry. He went into the temple and he saw people desecrating the temple with greed And he made a whip and drove everybody out and turned over the tables. Well, Jesus wasn't flying off the handle. He was angry because of zeal for the Father and his grace and honor. Well, we spoke about Jonah and his story is a good example of God's disciplining work. Jonah disobeyed and God said, okay, we'll do something to turn this around, and we know the story that that Jonah eventually did turn around and go to Nineveh and did preach to Nineveh, and Nineveh repented, and then Jonah got mad because Nineveh repented, and Jonah didn't really want them to repent because he didn't have that same heart of love and grace and compassion that our Father God has, who looked at the people of Nineveh who were sinning greatly, and God said, i got to do something to rescue all these people, 120,000 of them who don't know right from wrong. And so he sent Jonah there, and amazingly, in response to that message, they repented and turned from their wicked ways. Tom Landry said this, The job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. Now, isn't that a good picture of how we really need to live, doing things we may not want to do because we know that they will lead us to the place of being like Jesus and walking close to him. The Father's home, just briefly, living with and in his people. Ezekiel 37, the Lord said, I will make a covenant of peace with them. My dwelling place will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And Jesus said in John fourteen twenty three, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow. Live with him. Dwell with him. The Father's home. He wants to dwell with us, his people. And finally, the Father's provision, that is the Holy Spirit. Because he knows we are dust, he realizes how weak we are and incapable of keeping his laws and living a holy life apart from his spirit's power in us. So through Ezekiel in verse in chapter 36 he said, "I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful" To obey my regulations. Well, Jesus said in Luke 11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Peter tells us that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Tomorrow, the day after, whatever's coming down the pipe for us. He's given us everything we need. Well, if you're inclined to doubt that God the Father could love you, let me just tell you about a few people in the Bible that God chose to have a relationship with and work through for his glory in spite of their weaknesses. Noah, who you know built the ark and saved eight people, got drunk later on. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar, Joseph was abused, Moses stuttered, Gideon was afraid, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, no, I'm just kidding, he was, he, he, he was depressed and suicidal, uh, Timothy was too young, David had an adulterous affair and murdered a man, Elijah was suicidal, Jonah ran from God, Job went bankrupt, John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ, the disciples fell asleep while praying, I'm sure none of you have ever done that, and had an argument about who was the greatest, Martha worried about all sorts of things, Thomas was a doubter, Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed before she met Christ, the Samaritan woman was divorced many times, Zacchaeus was too small and cheated people before he met Jesus, Paul was too religious and participated in the murder of Christians, before his conversion, and Lazarus was dead. So what makes you think that God couldn't love you and adopt you into his family? Our compassionate God longs to take the broken, sinful people like these that we just mentioned, like you and me, as he did with Jacob, and change our hearts and our names. Jacob meant liar or cheater or deceiver, and he changed his name to Israel, which meant the prince that prevails with God. God wants to do that for you and me. Take us broken, lying, cheating, whatever else it might be from our past, and heal us and change us and renew us and make us his own children and adopt us into his family and give us an inheritance along with Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit and eternity in His presence. So the Father's plan and desire is to rescue the powerless, the ungodly, the sinful, the helpless, you and me, to adopt us as His very own children. God did not send His Son into the world, John three seventeen, to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Well, uh, the last slide is a personalized uh, prayer or declaration of scriptures. And it's just put into the first person, uh, begins with, uh, yes, since I have received you. So uh, if, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and said, Jesus, be my Lord, then this is a declaration of where you stand in relation to the living God. So just would you just declare this with me? Since I have received you, Jesus, and believed in your name, the living God has given me the right to become his own child. How great is your love, my Father, which you have lavished on me, that I should be called your child, and that is what I am. For you have rescued me from the dominion of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of your Son, whom you love. And in Jesus Christ, I have redemption, the forgiveness of my sins. You have bought me back from Satan's control and redeemed me so that I might receive the full rights of a child. And because I am your child, you, my father, sent the spirit of your son into my heart, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father." Daddy God, that's what Abba Father means. Daddy God, an intimate name for the Father God. So if Jesus dwells in you, that's where you are. If he does not, and you're saying today, you know, I can't say that. uh, If you would like to know how you can be a child of the living God and would like someone to pray with you, please feel free to come, come up afterwards and some of us will be available to pray with you and help you be assured of your relationship with Father God. Lord, we just thank you that you're faithful, that you're good, that you're gracious, that you're kind, that you're compassionate, that you know we are dust and therefore have made provision for our salvation, our redemption, and for the power of the Holy Spirit to live in us and enable us to do what you call us to do. Lord, strengthen us, protect us from the rebellion of Jonah and others who ran away from you. Lord, teach us that your way is always good, that you are always kind and loving and faithful. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.